Good evening, Tuscaloosa Internet World. Wherever you are watching, listening to the Joe Gaither Show on DallasCentral.com. How are you doing on this magnificent Saturday? We're having a little bit of Saturday fun. We figured we might as well do a Saturday episode because there is so much going on in the uh, Alabama sports world and right here on Bama Central. So we're having a lot of fun on BamaCentral.com. We appreciate everybody jumping in and joining us on the social media machines. You can find us at Bama Central on X, at Alabama SI on, on Instagram. You can find us at Alabama Alabama Crimson Tide on Sports Illustrated, on Facebook, and then, of course, on YouTube at Bama Central as well. I am at Joe Gaither 6 on all the social media platforms. I'm a proud part of the Bama Central Broadcasting Network. You can send me your comment, question, query, and complaint to all the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Snapchat, whatever, at Joe Gaither 6. And then, of course, make sure you download and subscribe to our other Bama Central Broadcasting Network, Blue Collar Unplugged, with our friends Blake Byler, Matthew Gibson and Jacob Pickle. So we are going to head out and find one of our friends from Blue Collar Unplugged. You subscribe to them and you listen to every single one of their episodes. It's been a minute since we've talked to Blake Byler here on the Joe Gaither Show on BamaCentral.com, but that is A-OK. You can find him all over on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on Amazon on both platforms on the Bama Central Broadcasting Network podcast, but we're bringing him on right now to talk Rose Bowl because he is out in California. Blake, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing good. I mean, it's been it's been a good week. It's been an eventful week, but uh, re- really excited for the game to get here. I think it, it's finally setting in that we're getting a couple days uh, closer. It's really it's just like, like 48 hours away now, uh, so re- really exciting. Absolutely. So Blake, Blake has been out in California all week long. I went up to Birmingham to watch the Alabama basketball team. They defeated Liberty 101-57. to We might talk a little bit about that at the end, just kind of uh, look ahead to the SEC season because that's kind of where we are, pivotal moment for the basketball schedule. But let's keep it mostly football here to get it started first. How do you rate the Beef Bowl? We've talked about the Beef Bowl with the two Michigan riders and with uh, with uh, Austin, but they had not had it yet. You have now had the Beef. Tell us, tell us about the event and tell us about how good the food was or not so good or just kind of kind of set the scene for this crazy event that both Michigan and Alabama participated in in back to back nights. Yeah, I mean the Beef Bowl was really cool. It was something I I didn't know that it was apparently a, a yearly. Rose Bowl tradition that that was a part it's a part of this um this event this week uh, that that it happens and uh, apparently every year both teams go to uh, Lowry's restaurant and they uh eat a whole lot of prime rib and uh it, it's something it, I think it was the 67th 68th annual uh, we got to hear from um I think it was the CEO of Lowry's restaurant um he talked about how he's been to over 100 beef bowls in his time because uh they were doing it when he was younger uh Nick Saban presented him with uh, a helmet uh, an Alabama helmet and the football one of the white ones that has uh, the Alabama logo on it uh and while we were there we got to see a couple Alabama players participate in uh you know the festivities I mean as they were walking in Lowry's had their own uh like marching band playing yay Alabama as the team walked in uh making it really festive uh Will Reichard 
spun the salad uh, to start out the uh, the event. So he got to do that. Jaheem Otis was Alabama's honorary uh, a beef cutter. He, he made the first cut on the prime rib, served it to Coach Saban. Uh, and then I think while – I think it was Seth McLaughlin that was uh, awarded Alabama's um, Scholar Athlete Award uh, – while, or the Rose Bowl Scholar Athlete Award while he was there. And so um, it, it was a fun event. Got to see uh, kind of the players just sitting, uh, talking, eating, enjoying themselves. And then we got to eat a really good meal while we were there too. We were served some prime rib, which was excellent. It was all over everybody's uh, Twitter feed. We got some mashed potatoes and gravy, some corn. It was all very, very good meal. We got some apple pie for dessert. It, was good. Uh, it, looked, so, good. it looked good through your Twitter. It definitely looked good through your Twitter. Yes, it was, it was very good. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 really good. Um, and so then from there, we kind of, uh, everybody exited and that, that was kind of the event, but it, it was a really good time. It was unique to hear, uh, about how it was a Rose Bowl tradition and something that, uh, the two participating teams in the Rose Bowl have done every single year. We even found out that, uh, three years ago while Alabama was playing in the Rose Bowl, but the Rose Bowl was in Dallas because of COVID-19, the, uh, they didn't get to have like their formal, uh, uh beef bowl, but, uh, in lieu of that, they sent, uh, I think, prime rib sandwiches uh, to uh, Alabama and, and to Coach Saban to be able to eat as one of their meals leading up to the game that year. So they even had their own kind of slice of uh, of the beef bowl, even without being there. Um, but the, the Lowry CEO said that Alabama hadn't been able to participate since the team was there in 09 for uh, the national championship game that year. And so um, def- definitely a unique experience, really fun to learn about and a good time for sure. All right, awesome. Sounds like a great place, a, a great restaurant. Everybody got to check out if they're out in California, if they can. Uh, but sounds like they had a great time, and Jaheim Oda seemed to enjoy himself. And Will Reich, I mean, Salad Spinner seems like a like a big responsibility, but it uh, seems like he did it very, very well. On a more serious note, Blake, you were out at practice today. They uh, <laughs> boy, they stuck you behind the buses until they allowed you to come back out. Uh, but you got to see, I guess, some throws from some warm-ups, I guess some some some, some some early parts of practice, but nothing crazy. What did you see at practice? Tell us about your experience taking in the Crimson Tide. I guess it was this. It will be the second practice viewing period uh, available to the, available to the media during the pre bowl, pre Rose Bowl warm up. Lead up. Yeah, I mean, it. There's only so much you can really see in the limited time that we're given to to view these practices. We got 15 minutes uh, on Thursday, and then we got 15 minutes again today at the very beginning of practice, and so. We saw stretches kind of at the beginning. Uh, the guys getting loose. A lot of uh, a lot of coaches running around screaming energy, energy, trying to get the guys uh, ready to go. One of the coaches or a couple of the coaches uh, were were yelling things about how this is their last guaranteed practice, uh, which is is a true statement because if Alabama loses to Michigan on Monday, there's no more practices the rest of the season for them. And tomorrow is kind of like a walkthrough day. And so this is um, this was kind of their last guaranteed full practice. And so uh, trying to get the players to attack the day with that sort of mentality. Um, and then we, we saw them warm up. We saw them do kind of their uh, core stretches on the ground. Coach Saban always participates in those. I actually tweeted out a video of that, of uh, Coach Saban laying down, doing some of the stretches with the team. Uh, and then they kind of move into a tr- individual, you know, position group unit work. Uh, and, and so while they were in there, we got to see some of the quarterbacks throw. Um, we saw Milrow. 
Um, we saw Simpson. They were the first two to go through. Holstein and Lonergan were the next two after that. And then I see you're, you want to hear about Julian saying, uh, saying uh, he, I only got to see three or four of his throws, but I mean, they look good. I'm not like a quarterback coach or anything. So I'm not going to sit here and evaluate his mechanics or anything like that. But I thought, um, you know, in, in the few throws that we saw, um, he looked fine. He looked comfortable. We didn't get to, as soon as we left, they started uh, what looked like seven on seven work from what I could see from outside of the, uh, of the kind of area that they were in. Um, so we didn't get to actually see him working with against defense or, or anything like that. But, you know, he looked good. One thing that was interesting, both uh, today and on Thursday, Buckner was not throwing. Uh, but we did find out that he has been the scout team quarterback and he's been he has been J.J. McCarthy in, in terms of preparations uh, this week. So I guess that they, they're just saving him for that. But he hasn't been throwing in the normal quarterback warm up. Uh, rotation, but we do know and we have heard from some players that he is uh, emulating JJ McCarthy this week on scout team. All right, two part question. First, uh, you coach ba- basketball for Northward. Do you need an assistant yeah. coach who just gets up there and rah rahs the guys? Because I can come up there practice and get everybody and get in everybody's face before <laughs> practice, uh, get everybody going for you. But second, on a more serious note. How stature-wise does Julian say it? I mean, you didn't get to like obviously see a whole ton, but standing next to Holstein, Lonergan, standing next to Milrow, and the rest of the quarterbacks, is he kind of in that same vein, or what? What, what, what do you think about him stature-wise? Honestly, he looks a little small, um, and like looking at his measurements, I believe he's six one, one ninety five, and so he's not a really like big, bulky guy. I mean, he he looked he he. He doesn't look as small as Bryce Young did. Um, to me, I always thought, like, obviously Bryce is small. He's a smaller uh, quarterback. But saying saying definitely looked smaller compared to – I mean, Alabama has a really big quarterback room. Like, Milrose, 6'2", 6'3", like 215, something like that. And then you've got Simpson is like 6'3", 6'4". Holstein's like 6'5". And so you've got a bunch of really big quarterbacks that he's out there with. He definitely looks like the smallest one. Um, but obviously I haven't get, gotten to see him – behind an offensive line or maybe behind or or with a defensive with pressure in his face or anything like that. And so, um, I mean, he looks small compared to the rest of Alabama's quarterbacks, but he hasn't been able to get into Alabama's strength and conditioning program yet. And I'm sure he'll beef up a little bit over the summer. I'm sure he wants to be a little more than 190 pounds once he uh, ends up taking the field, whenever he does for Alabama. So uh, that's definitely something that we'll be uh, monitoring for sure. All right, so we're talking to Blake Byler, AlabamaCentral.com. You can follow him at BlakeByler45 on the Twitter or X machine for all of his great work. So, Blake, tell us, uh, what's the deal with the iPads? What do you make of it? How, what, how, how have you followed it? We've asked nearly everybody that we've had on about it. Uh, the catapult system, Coach Saban pretty much shut down all questions about it today. What's your, what, 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 what do you make of the iPad situation on both sides? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what to make of it completely i mean based on we, we can only really go off what we've heard and and obviously at the couple of days ago isaiah bond was the first alabama player to mention it that alabama had shut down uh kind of using their ipads to watch film individually um they use uh we know alabama and michigan are both teams that use the catapult um software the app to to watch film and store film and and uh, keep tabs on that. And so uh, later the next day, whenever Michigan's offense came to the podium, 
uh, or I guess it was really their next media availability after Alabama said that, that they said they had also stopped using iPads and that they had since November, I believe it was. Uh, then we find out about the uh, the investigation. Nick Saban doesn't really want to comment on it. Tommy Reese doesn't really want to comment on it because at the same time as whenever Isaiah Bond was talking um, and he made his comments about the iPad, Tommy Reese across the room was deflecting pretty much any and all questions about it. And so um, it sounds like the coaches don't really want to get into it. It sounds like the players, um, Isaiah Bond maybe let something slip that he shouldn't, maybe something that uh, I'm sure Alabama Sports Information didn't want the whole uh, the week to become. I'm sure we will also get some questions between uh, Coach Saban and Coach Harbaugh tomorrow morning in their final press conference. Um, so that will be interesting to see for sure. But I think um, really there's there's not much you can make of it at this point because there's so little we know. It seems like they're, the, the two teams think that there is danger with potentially opponents maybe like having access to other teams in the software, maybe like hacking into the software, getting access that they shouldn't. But we really don't know who's been doing what. All we know is that the teams are taking – uh, what they feel are necessary precautions and, and that that's that they're not going to use that software. They're not going to individually be watching film um, uh, on these players, iPads, and they're going to be watching uh, film more in group sessions together uh, using that as, as little as possible. So Auburn, they deleted their catapult system as well. Florida state must have as well. They just stopped using film, they didn't <laughs> watch film at the facility or on their iPads. Uh, Auburn getting a, taken to them today by the Maryland yeah. Terrapins, and then Florida State uh, as of like five minutes ago, sixty-three to three in the bowl game. So uh, they, they are, is it safe to assume that, that those coaches were also just taking extra precaution? <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> All right, so what do you think is going to be the keys to the game? I've, I've talked to Katie Wyndham, and I've talked to to, to Austin Hand in the back-to-back games, but. I had, or back-to-back days, excuse me, but I haven't really asked about, about the game a whole lot. It's been a whole lot about a storyline. It's been a whole lot about what's been going on out there in California. Blake, if you are Blake Byler, head coach Nick Saban, and Blake Byler swap places, and now you're head coach of Alabama, what's your keys to the game? What are you preaching to these guys? You're on the precipice. You've been building the entire season. Everybody's seen the progression. Everybody knows the stories, the doubters. What's your thought process as we are, as you said, we're right at 43 hours away from kicking off the Rose Bowl. I think one of the most important aspects of this game is the line of scrimmage on both sides. And I think it's been so interesting to see how Alabama's offensive line has progressed throughout this season, Uh, especially whenever, uh, like back at the beginning, you had Texas, a great defensive line that was uh, absolutely dominating up front against Alabama's offensive line. Uh, then South Florida had a lot of success against the offensive line, and Alabama was, had one of the mo- the highest sacks allowed um, really through the first four or five weeks of the season. And I feel like they cleaned that up a lot over the course of the season. You had Jaden Roberts plugged in at right guard. Caden Proctor improved a lot at left tackle um, and, and really kind of solidified the offensive line. Booker's been great. Latham's been great. But uh, you've seen a lot of improvement from those other guys over the course of the season to the point where they were blowing off – Georgia defenders three, four yards off the ball, a Georgia defensive line that's always really stout. Um, and so I think 
in this game for Alabama's offense to have success. Michigan has a fantastic defense, and people may think the the numbers are a little inflated, maybe because they didn't play a great out of conference schedule, or maybe the Big Ten doesn't have the best offenses, and like those things are are true. But they still have one of the best defenses in the country. I don't think that fact is uh, disputable. So for Alabama to have success offensively, Alabama is going to need to create uh, third and short. Uh, second and short, third and short, they're going to need to stay in front of the chains early. I think early down success is something that's very important for Alabama, making sure that while Milrow is able to make big plays on third and eight, third and nine with his legs, if you keep him out of that, I think that helps obviously for any offense to not have to deal with third and longs uh, for them to be successful. If Alabama can stay in front of the chains and continue to move. Now on the defensive side, it's the same thing. It's it's the line of scrimmage on that side because Michigan's bread and butter is running the ball. They have Blake Corum. They have Donovan Edwards, two really, really dynamic running backs that can give teams fits. I mean, we saw in Michigan's two biggest wins of their season over Ohio State and over Penn State, they ran for over 150 yards in both games. I think they ran for over 220 against Ohio State. Um, or no, it was Penn State that they ran for over 220 against and then Ohio State. But for example, against Penn State, J.J. McCarthy only had to throw for 60 yards and they still won the game. And so Michigan really leans heavily on that run game. And if Alabama's run defense is able to step up and able to get stops and force McCarthy kind of the inverse of what I was just talking about with Alabama forcing McCarthy into those third and eight third nine third and long situations where he's the one that has to beat Alabama uh, I think that plays into Alabama's hands obviously because Alabama has one of the best secondaries in the country probably the best cornerback uh, tandem in the country with Kool-Aid McKinstry and Terry and Arnold Uh, so you want uh, J.J. McCarthy to be dropping back and having to make decisions uh, based on the coverages that Alabama is throwing at him based on uh, this Alabama secondary. And so if Alabama is able to do that, I mean, I talked to Justin Aboigby yesterday, Alabama's defensive end, and he said that his message has been the same as what it was uh, against Georgia. And he said, we've got to play like there's no tomorrow, playing as if if they don't get the job done, there's not going to be anything else. And uh, he said that with the Georgia game in terms of making the playoff. And now with this, it's true. Like if they don't do what they have to do to win this game, there is no tomorrow. There's not going to be another game. There's not a trip to the national championship game. And so uh, that's the mindset he's preaching as uh, kind of the fifth year, uh, the senior leader of this defensive line. And I think uh, that just goes to show the importance of the trenches on both sides, on the offensive and defensive side for Alabama to be able to win this game. All right, so to kind of a two-parter, big-picture question here. All right, Michigan, 0-2 in the last two semifinal games, the last two years in the semifinal. Georgia beat them uh, pretty handily. TCU ended up being a close, uh, crazy game. 0-2 0-2 in the last two years. One, the first part of the question is, what? how does that impact the game as far as Michigan's mentality? How, I mean, obviously, they, they come in as the number one team. And then the second question is really, obviously, we've been focusing a lot on Michigan's competition through the, through the year. Uh, it hasn't really been that good. We've seen, obviously, they are, their, their games against Penn State and Ohio State were probably the most similar games to, you know, some of the SEC competition and or Alabama. What do you make of the bowl performances, uh, Penn State losing to Penn State losing to Ole Miss and then Ohio State last night losing the Cotton Bowl to, to Missouri? Uh, do you take anything away from that based on how, you know, obviously the game against Ole Miss was many, many, was what, two months ago, three months ago, uh, September? 
uh, and then you you never played Missouri in, in conference play. But you know you have co- common opponents. Do you take anything away from what the Big Ten has done in bowl season? And then really, how does that really kind of play into or apply to Michigan's zero and two in the last two semifinals uh, that they that they've been in? To answer your first question first, I think that I, I don't know how much bearing it really has other than the fact that it's going to make Michigan more hungry because they're, they're going to be anxious to get over that hump. I mean, they've been there time and time again. Um, obviously they made the, what bowl game was it? Two years. I think it was the peach bowl. Uh, no, no, it was the orange Last bowl. Last year was the Fiesta bowl, right? And then it was the orange right. bowl against Georgia, right? right? The orange bowl against Georgia, they lost by 24, something like that. And then last year was the Fiesta bowl. Um, and they obviously lost a, a really entertaining back and forth game with TCU. Uh, yeah. But I mean, the the lack of performance in bowl games is something that's been hanging over Jim Harbaugh's head for like half a decade now. They've lost six straight bowl games under him. Um, so they, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know why that's the case. But um, for whatever reason, Jim Harbaugh has not been able to get his team to perform to standard in these bowl games. And so I think if anything, um, that just makes this team more hungry to be the team that's going to break that streak, uh, be the team to get over that hump. And it's obviously not the ultimate hump they want to get over. They want to win a national championship, but to get there, you've got to first win the playoff game. And so I think uh, if anything, that would make them uh, more hungry and and better prepared to do so. Um, As far as the big 10, and the SEC's uh, bowl performances that we've seen so far. I think the SEC's had a really impressive uh, bowl showing. Obviously, last night, Missouri and Ohio State, uh, it it was kind of a boring game. I mean, it wasn't the most um, flashy, high-powered offense you've seen. I mean, it was very low scoring. It's really interesting, though, because as you think, you're like, I mean, how much can you really take away from these games with some of the opt-outs and, and, and all of that stuff? I mean, that changes everything about about these games. But, um, I, I mean, I saw somebody I saw somebody jokingly tweet uh, a tweet from, like, two months ago that said, like, if Ohio State didn't have Marvin Harrison Jr., they're just Iowa on offense. And, like, that's funny, but, like, that's almost what we – what we saw last night. I mean, they didn't have their best offensive player, also their best quarter or their quarterback who who won the job over Devin Brown um, is in the transfer portal. And so you have the guy who lost the job is playing back, uh, quarterback. Uh, but still, I think the fact that Missouri's defense was able to hold them to three points is impressive. I think um, Ohio State never really had a great offense. They were carried pretty heavily by Marvin Harrison Jr., who's a fantastic player. But I, I still think that's a great win for Missouri. When you think of Missouri and Ohio State, those are two programs that are on completely different levels. You think of Ohio State as one of the top programs in the country. And while Missouri has been on the come up here with uh, Eli Drinkwitz, I mean, that that's a huge win for them. Uh, and then this morning, I, I was very impressed by what Ole Miss was able to do to Penn State because, um, I mean, I don't have opt-out lists all in my head. but I, They're I think minimal both for both had, teams. Right. I think both teams had most of their important pieces playing in that game. And so for Ole Miss to be able to do what they did, I mean, Ole Miss is – probably what the fourth best team in the sec behind i mean it depends on how you want to put them in missouri um but for them to do that to the big Ten's third best team i mean that just speaks to the strength of um the sec as a conference as a whole 
because Ole Miss had just two losses all season. They were to Alabama and they were to Georgia. They beat everybody else. You look at Missouri, they had two losses all season. It was to Georgia and it was to LSU, right? Yeah. Was that their yeah. other loss? Yes. Uh, and, and so the team with the Heisman winner. And so we're not even talking about when you keep going down the list of SEC teams two days from now, LSU, I don't think – Jaden Daniels isn't playing in the game. Is no. It? I didn't think so. But the, the team with the Heisman winner is going to go up against uh, Wisconsin in the, the ReliQuest Bowl. I don't know where they really fell on the Big Ten ladder. But just these performances from SEC teams have been impressive. But then on the flip side, you go further down the ladder and you have Maryland boat racing Auburn. And so it's like you have a, a, a lower-tier uh, Big Ten team dominating a lower-tier SEC team. Um, but I, I think that the top of the SEC is just incredibly strong. I mean, I think Peter Burns tweeted today, the SEC might have half of the preseason top ten next year. When you look at Alabama, you look at Georgia, you look at Missouri and Ole Miss, who usually whenever you get a big bowl win and you bring a lot of guys back, I mean, Missouri's bringing back Brady Cook, Ole Miss bring back Jackson Dart, and they've got – one of the most insane portal classes I've ever seen. They've got everybody coming in. And so you think they're going to be there. And then you add Texas into the mix. And so you've got Texas, which is surely going to be a preseason top 10 team next year. You might have five of the top 10 being from the SEC. Uh, and obviously it's also in the year where you're getting rid of divisions. And so um, that that's going to make the SEC race next year very interesting. But this SEC bowl performance and also this Big Ten uh, bowl performance. It's definitely making the SEC look like the stronger league right now with the performances we've played. But also, I feel like you have to take some of these games with a grain of salt because of opt-outs, because of uh, players declaring for the draft, all of that stuff. All right, so I don't really care about any of that stuff, Blake, honestly, about what it, where, whose league is better and what league is better. My thought, I appreciate the, the, the insight. I do, absolutely. But my, my, my reasoning behind the question, my reasoning for asking, is I'm trying to decipher what it means for Monday afternoon, what it means when Alabama yeah. and, and Michigan face off, how many cross, you know, I, I hate the transitive property of football. So how much of it can you really draw and how much of, you know, different, different teams beating different teams and obviously the opt-outs are different things so i'll throw it to you all of everything that we've thrown out at the last 25 minutes we've been talking to blake byler of bamacentral.com he is out there in california what the hell happens on monday night what does it all mean leading up to uh, what, what what happens in the granddaddy of them all i have always thought and these bowl games have kind of reinforced the feeling that alabama is more battle tested than michigan is this year and I think Alabama has obviously gone through more adversity, I think, on the football field, maybe not necessarily off the football field with controversies and coach suspensions and whatever have you from Michigan's season. But I think that Alabama has played more difficult football teams than Michigan has. I said it before um, the SEC championship game that I thought if Alabama beat Georgia that they would win the national title because I thought – their matchup would probably be Michigan. Whenever I look at Michigan, I see a lesser version of Georgia. I, I see a really good defense. I see an offense that has, uh, I think Carson Beck's a little better than J.J. McCarthy, but I think both offenses really want to establish the run. Uh, maybe Georgia's backs are a little less dynamic than uh, Corum and Edwards, but you, you get what I mean. I think um, overall the type, the style of football that, that Michigan tries to play is very similar to Georgia, and I think Georgia – probably does that at a higher level based on what I've seen, based on the competition that I've seen both teams play. And so 
because of that, I think the way that Alabama was able to honestly dominate the line of scrimmage against Georgia, I, I, I don't know why that can't continue uh, whenever they play Michigan. Now, obviously, a month of bowl prep, when you factor that in, both offenses, both defenses, both stabs are going to have um, things that are ready to go that maybe the other hasn't seen. There's a lot of – I mean, Jim Harbaugh's a really smart coach. He's got a great coaching staff. But I think the fact that we've seen some of these bowl results that may kind of reemphasize uh, my thoughts about the schedules that the teams have played. Alabama played Texas early on, found out a lot of holes that were in their team, a lot of things that they needed to fix. Um, and over the course of the season, we saw those things – get fixed we saw Alabama improve from them and Alabama is a vastly different team here two days before the Rose Bowl than they were back in early September in week two Michigan played East Carolina they played UNLV they played I don't even remember who the other teams were in their non-conference and then they ran through actually I'm I'm just gonna pull up Michigan's schedule while I'm here and just read it off to you because when you look at it, it like there's it, I mean, it's not there's even, no quarterbacks it's not on even their schedule. There's no there's no quarterbacks on their schedule. There's no skill position guys on their schedule. I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. No, is an absolute star, but like outside of that, who has tested them? Exactly. I mean, here you go: East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, Rutgers. That's your first four games, and Rutgers is a conference opponent. Like, and they're not a good football team. Then Nebraska, Minnesota, Indiana, Michigan State. I don't think any. I don't know if any of those teams made a bowl game. Nebraska made a bowl game. Uh, Minnesota made a bowl game, but they were five and seven. And then you go from there, Purdue, Penn State, Maryland, Michigan, so, or Ohio State. Penn State, Maryland, Ohio State. So the, their last three games were against pretty good. I think they got Ohio State in the championship. And then Iowa in the championship game. And so um, they, they really didn't play anybody at all until the end of the season. And even then, they didn't play anybody with as dynamic of a football player as Jalen Milrow. And that's also one of the keys that I see in this game is that nobody in the Big Ten has anything that can emulate what Jalen Milrow is. And you look so at let their, me throw you Alex Orgy because that's been the that's been the guy that they've thrown right. out there. What do you make of? Well, we got Alex Orgy and he's prepared us. I mean, well, that's all they really can say. Uh, that he's the only guy that's been able to give them a look because Cal McCord is nothing like Jalen Milrow. Drew Aller is nothing like Jalen Milrow in terms of how they play. And then, I, I mean, Talia Tungabailo is a good quarterback, but he he's more of a pocket passer slinging around uh, more, more so than the dynamic athlete that Milrow is. And so I think that's something that Michigan you, – you can't replicate that and then get on the field and just know what's coming. I think of a couple um, years ago when Alabama was playing uh, Deshaun Watson and Clemson and, and – players would talk about how difficult and coaches would talk about how difficult it is to emulate a player like Deshaun Watson in practice. It's just completely different because you have to get on the field and actually see him. Uh, and so the fact that Michigan didn't play anybody in the non-conference, I think is probably going to hurt them because they've never like they, they could have scheduled like, I know LSU played Florida state, but they could have scheduled a team like LSU or, hey, or next year, Michigan and Texas are playing to kick off the season. Right. Exactly. Like they could have done that and, and seen some kind of good offense that's not a Big Ten offense and, and yeah. maybe be a little more prepared or, or their players could have seen something like what they're going to see here on Monday. And so um, I think that definitely gives an advantage to Alabama also because Alabama's defense, I mean, 
like they they see guys like that every week. I mean, you, you look at JJ McCarthy, uh, and you've got you you've seen on their schedule. I mean, Alabama's seen the Heisman winner, Jaden Daniels. They've seen uh, Carson Beck, who I think is is pretty similar to McCarthy. You've seen Jackson Dart, who I think is a similar um, I think type Jackson quarterback to McCarthy. Mm-hmm. And so you you've seen if you're Alabama, you you've gone through your schedule and you've seen guys like that who you can look at tape and you can be like, okay, we defended this guy this way. This is how we have to do it against this guy. And so I think Alabama's schedule, the SEC, everything that they've played in and that they've played against so far has prepared them more so than maybe what Michigan has faced so far. What do you what? Uh, how was the Clippers game last night? Clippers game was good. Oh, we got to see a, a, a really strong second half from Paul George. I think he had like twenty in the second half. James Harden looked great. Kawhi Leonard didn't play, sadly, um, but it was good. Clippers won by like, like ten, something like that. You made it out alive with jo- with John ja Moran in the building, so congratulations. <laughs> yeah, he actually didn't play that well. I think he missed the Grizzlies played a back to back, but he was he was sick two nights ago, and so he was like he, he ended up playing. He was a game time decision, and he, he was all right. He was fine. What was the best part about yesterday's uh, yesterday's media day? Tell tell the people what's something you're going to have in your back pocket or something you're going to ponder on in your back pocket for maybe a story down the line. Um, something probably on uh, – I talked about it a little earlier, but the growth of the offensive line. I think I, I got to talk to a lot of um, – like they made everybody available at media day today, which is a very unique – um, uh, thing because normally they're very specific about who you're allowed to talk to, but they just kind of opened it up to everybody. Um, and so I went and got to talk to Caden Proctor for the first time. He was a great interview. Uh, I talked to offensive line coach Eric Wolford. Um, he was great to talk to. So players, coaches, everybody, if they were in the room, you could grab them and talk to them. Um, so really unique experience, definitely a learning experience too. Um, for being the first time in a, uh, a setting like that, trying to find the right guys, talk to people, but um, definitely something on, on that unit uh, in the future. We'll look forward to it on Bama Central and BamaCentral.com. Okay, real quick before we get out of here, 101 to 56 against Liberty in the BJCC uh, CM Newton Classic Legacy Arena. Alabama basketball moves to eight and five on the non in the in the non conference play. Non conference is over. You'll be able to hear more about this on Blue Collar Unplugged. Subscribe to Blake Byler and the Blue Collar Unplugged guys on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on Amazon. Uh, you'll watch the game a little bit later. Obviously, you just Got to see yeah. the score. Latrell Wrightsell got himself what five three pointers, six three pointers. He was so, going yeah. crazy. But Co- and Coach Nate Oates gave a lot of credit to Aaron Estrada, nearly a triple double for Aaron Estrada. Let's just co- kind of package this game. Not really specific about this game, but package the non-conference play. Eight and five. You're now turning over next week. Vanderbilt, uh, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, South Carolina. Uh, yep. gosh, and somebody else that's not so hot. Uh, Missouri, Missouri, Missouri. Uh, so mm-hmm. your your conference st- schedule is getting started, kind of easing into conference schedule. What in the hell do we make of this Alabama basketball team? Can this team still win the league? Because that's real. I mean, look, everybody dreams of. Fun. I'm, I'm sitting here like gum glasses this thick. Oh man, Final Four, Final Four. That's kind of off the table at this point, in my opinion. But a uh, double championship, yeah, win the league. Can we still cling to that secondary goal? I'm not going to say no. I mean, I think, I think what we've learned um, is this team is really good for really long stretches. I, and 
if you look at Ken Palm right now, Alabama is up to number five in the country after today's win over Liberty. Uh, and some people are like, why is Alabama number five in Ken Palm when they're eight and five on the season? And that's because Ken Palm doesn't, it, it, it's not about wins and losses with Ken Palm. It's about Ken Palm takes possession by possession, your efficiency as a team offensively and defensively and factors every possession throughout the entire season and holistically rates the teams. And so when you look at these games that Alabama's lost against Purdue, against Creighton, against Arizona, Alabama competed and was a very good team, even had leads on these teams for 60, 70% of the game. And so Alabama was playing like a top five team for, for much of these games. And then it took little small um, chunks of time for them to just give it away. And, and Nate Oates talked about that. He said for, for like 75% of these games, for like 28 to 30 minutes of these games, they, they've been a top five team in the country and they have, and that reflects in their Ken Palm ranking. Um, but I think what they need to do is obviously figure out ways to close out games against these difficult teams. However, I think that this, those games set them up to maybe go on a little run here to start SEC play because they, they've learned a lot about what works, what doesn't work. Uh, they've figured out that Wagi is, is their starting center. I think Pringle is a, is a good guy to come off the bench. They've learned a lot about um, offensively what works and what doesn't work. Obviously, um, we've seen them, even whenever threes aren't falling, continue to stay in games against Creighton, against um, Arizona for long stretches, even when they're not hitting threes. Uh, and then we know that, like, I think John Rothstein tweeted today that Alabama's hit 33 threes in their last two games, which is an absolutely insane number. I've never worried about Alabama against these against mid-major teams, even a good mid-major like Liberty, uh, because just the way that Alabama's built, they're just not going to let a, a lesser team like that compete with them. Um, There's just too much firepower. Um, so I think they've they've gotten through this difficult stretch and learned a lot, and I think they've grown a lot. You can even see defensively that they have uh, made massive strides from where they were against Ohio State back in November, against Clemson back in November. They're a much better defensive team. Uh, and, and as they continue to grow, as they continue to gel, because it is a brand new team with nine new players, uh, they're going to start picking up wins. And I think it's going to start fairly soon. They've won two in a row, obviously both against mid-majors. But you look at the SEC schedule, and it's pretty favorable to start out. You've got Vanderbilt, South Carolina as your next two games. Vanderbilt's terrible. Um, South Carolina, you're at home, so you, you should win that one. Then you've got a big road game against Mississippi State. Um, if Alabama goes we going together, them, uh, I, I plan on being in Starkville for sure. Oh, yeah. that, that, that sounds uh, like a great time. And then Missouri at home, and then a big one at Tennessee. And then after that, you've got a big one against Auburn, LSU, Georgia, Mississippi State. So these are a lot of winnable games, and and Alabama has the chance now that they're not turning around every other night playing an elite team that's coming off a loss, getting their best shot. Um, they're they're going to be able to pick up some of these wins uh, and probably figure out what they need to do late in games to win some of these because, um, like, whenever NATO schedules – these teams and these games in December, he does it for reasons because losses in December, um, if they're close and if you play well, they don't really matter towards your resume at the end of the season. You're not, Alabama's not going to miss the tournament because they lost by six to Purdue or because they lost by three to Creighton or whatever it was. Um, but those games, instead of playing Chicago State and like 
whoever else for, for three games and picking up three basically meaningless wins. Uh, Nato's chose to go out and, and learn something about his team, go on a fact-finding mission, and he's gonna they're going to take what they've learned and, and, and apply it. And, I mean, shoot, today's game was a great example of that. I haven't even gone and been able to watch it because we were busy with media day stuff. But to win – 101 to 56 against a Liberty team that's in the top 60 and Ken Palm top 60 in the net. One of the best mid-major programs. Pretty quickly. Uh, right. Uh, really and, early. And, and then pretty much you, the second half with a slow and steady, just pulling away, pulling away, pulling away. So it was nice. It was um, a good performance. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's also a Liberty team with uh, a top 50 offense. Per Ken Palm and Alabama held him to 56 points. Alabama's defensive efficiency jumped 22 spots after the game, um, jumped all the way up to number 70. And so it it's still not where they need him to be. I coaches like that range. That. Yeah, but but that's still it, it's progress. And Alabama was just what I think like a nine point favorite in the game, won the game by 45. Anytime you outperform expectations that much, something good is happening. And so. Um, we're going to see what Alabama has as conference play starts. Definitely a disappointing non-conference in terms of win-loss, but you can see the progress that has been made from where they were, especially coming out of the Emerald Coast Classic, coming out of the Clemson game, to where they are now. They look like a much better team, and they look much more set up to go on a, uh, a run in the SEC potentially be one of those teams that gets a double buy and possibly compete for a conference title. We'll have to see how they uh, how they play in these first couple weeks of conference play. I'm trying to stay as apathetic as possible because if they suck me in like last year's team, I'll just be <laughs> all over the place. Uh, but, but it really, just like you said, depends on the first part of conference play. If they go out and get off to a yeah. 4-0 start, I'll start to feel myself. Oh, no, they'll be in a great well position. Well. It'll, it'll be awesome. Uh, just throw a little tidbit at you for you and the listeners. Uh, head coach Charlie Henry, former assistant coach, got his first win of the season with the Georgia Southern wow. Eagles today. They beat nice. Southern Miss 88-67. to uh, So, yes, Georgia Southern is 1-12, but Charlie Henry gets his first win as a head coach. That's good for Coach Henry, and I mean – Georgia Southern's a really tough job, and and he sure, yes. knew going in that he was he was going to have to kind of revamp that whole thing. And so, uh, good for him. Congratulations yeah. to Coach Henry for picking up that win today. Let's get you at it. Oh, and I saw your stat. Well, we should throw this out there to the people. Well, 100 win for Coach uh, for, for Coach Nato. It's first uh, fastest yeah. Alabama coach to 100 wins in an Alabama tenure. So congratulations, Coach Nato. It's, let's get you out of here by telling the people how you're going to spend the next 42-ish hours and how they can follow all your great coverage at BamaCentral.com. Yeah, I'll be out here uh, continuing our coverage in Los Angeles and Pasadena. Uh, you can follow all of my stuff on I'm on Twitter at BlakeBiler45. Uh, all my stuff will also be uh, on BamaCentral.com as well. Absolutely. That's a Blake Byler. He's, he's uh, roughing it for us out there in L.A., man. I hope you have a great night, man. Enjoy yourself. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. As Blake Byler joining us, and, you know, we just wanted to do a quick little – we want to do a Saturday episode. We're going to try to come back tomorrow and have a Sunday episode for you as well. We may or may not. I'm about 50-50 on whether I want to do a Monday morning episode before the game. I'm really if – you, if you can't tell, I'm really excited about this game. I'm really geared up about the Rose Bowl, Alabama, right on the precipice of claiming the seventh national championship for Coach Saban. Uh, what, number 19, if you're counting. Uh, look. 
let's get out of here with just some thoughts about what we just saw. Oh, my gosh, in the Orange Bowl. What we just saw in the Orange Bowl, Alabama, Alabama not even playing, but everybody talked about Florida State, talked about Georgia, top four team, this top four team, that. Uh, you lost 63-3, Florida State. And, okay, I understand. I'm, I'm This is total pass. You don't have Jared Burst. You don't have Jordan Travis. You don't have X, Y, and Z. You don't have 16 starters. You don't have everybody's opted out. You know, Rotomaker's gone to the transfer portal. There's a lot of things I don't really understand with the Florida State approach to it. And so, like, all right, we've gone over that before. But Florida State to lose 63 to 3. That's beyond 16 opt-outs. That's beyond transfer portal defections. Because Georgia had 15, 16 guys in the transfer portal. Georgia had 15, had a couple of guys, had uh, 15, 16 guys in the transfer portal. I didn't see Brock Bowers out there uh, on the field for the Georgia Bulldogs. 63 to 3 implies a complete lack of preparation of all kinds. Of all kinds. And, and granted, I can understand the Mike Norvell or the Florida State attitude. Our season's over. This game's meaningless. Boo-hoo-hoo. Why should we even get ready for this one? Uh, for about five minutes, you can, do, you can totally feel yourself and totally be in your feels. And for the fans, they can be in their fan, in their own feels forever because they're not playing. But the, for the for, for, for the Football program for Mike Norvell for the players. There's some. There, there needs to be at some point between what December what fourth when the when the college football playoff announcement was made and tonight December thirtieth. At some point, you've got to buckle up your bootstraps and say, you know what, we still got a game to get ready for. We've got some pride about ourselves. Yeah, Jordan Travis isn't playing. Yeah, Jared Burst is going off to the NFL draft. Yeah, uh, you get your 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 wide receiver who's going off to the draft as well. Probably two wide receivers going off to the draft as well. Yeah, you've got your missing players. Fine. But Coach Norvell, you you don't you're not recruiting slouches out here, are you? You're not recruiting terrible players. I mean, sure, you're expected to lose. You're a twenty point underdog, and I'm not even going to give you hell for losing. That's not really a problem. Like you, you went out there uh, and you were outmanned, outgunned. But sixty three to three, you lost by sixty bleeping points. What in the world uh, have you been doing over the last three and a half weeks outside of crying in your closet about they left us out, they left us out, and typing into your Twitter fingers about ACC Power 5 champion? Like, what have we been doing here? And I get it. The talent disparity. But 60 points, that's not – that's not that's that's beyond. That's beyond we had 16 guys opt out. That's beyond uh, we don't care about the – like, there, there's a real problem there now. Does that mean that Florida State's going to come out next year and not play well? No, it doesn't mean anything about that. But I do think that it is a concerning look for Mike Norvell and his program to get drummed by 60 points in the Orange Bowl. You can talk about meaningless game. You can talk about not being a, not being a college football playoff game, but it's still one of, you know, it used to be, when the BCS was around, one of your top four bowl games, you throw in the Cotton Bowl, you throw in the Peach Bowl, you might throw in the Outback Bowl or so to, to, to give yourself, what, eight bowls, seven bowls. It's one of the premier bowls. It's a nice bowl. 
Uh, so really unfortunate to see Florida State approach the game that way. Does it mean that they don't deserve to be in? No. I still stand by the fact that there were five teams that deserve to go into the playoff, only four spots. It's a structural problem for the college football playoff. It's getting fixed next year. We'll see if Florida State is still in the ACC uh, over the coming weeks. That's going to be that's going to be discussed and going to be bandied about uh, with their administration and the conference, and then you're going to see if they go to the Big Ten or the SEC or the Big 12 or what they end up doing. Uh, But Florida State, if I were you, I'd say put. I'd stay right where you are and kind of make nice with the ACC powers that be uh, if I were you. Obviously, uh, you heard me talk about uh, Auburn losing uh, with my man Blake Byler, giving Auburn a lot of hell. uh, Hugh Freeze said that he was recruiting over the last couple of weeks and didn't really work on the game plan that much in postgame. Terrible, terrible look for you, Hugh Freeze. Awful. Uh, look for you, Hugh Freeze, uh, as the Auburn Tigers lost their bowl game as well. So that puts what Texas A&M losing their bowl game. That puts uh, Kentucky losing their bowl game. That puts Auburn losing their bowl game. You have Georgia as winners, Missouri as winners, Georgia, Missouri. Uh, who else? Oh, Old Miss as winners. Uh, I think that's six of the bowl games that have been there are six of the uh, of the teams that have played bowls so far for the SEC. You're still looking for LSU. You're looking for Tennessee. You're looking for Alabama. That'll put you at nine. Uh, I think that's all of them, right? Uh, th- I think that's all of them. So uh, that'll put you at night. We'll, we'll see how the SEC continues to progress. I'm not really a, someone who's going to carry the SEC's banner, but you do like to see them win uh, on a neutral field against uh, against an out-of-conference opponent. So uh, that'll wrap us up for Saturday. We appreciate everybody who's joined us on the show. Watch us on YouTube. Listen to us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on uh, Amazon and Spotify. Yeah. All those places, and then you can watch us on Facebook and Twitter as well at Joe Gaither Six for all your social media needs. We appreciate everybody. I had a lot of fun at the BJCC. Thank you all so much for checking us out at BamaCentral.com. Subscribe to the program on your favorite platform. Tell a friend about the show, and come watch us tomorrow on the Joe Gaither Show on Bama Central and BamaCentral.com.